I'm Kyle Bushland, and you're listening to NIS Voices, where we bring you inspiring stories about learning, community, news, and more from Nanjing International School. I'm here with Cassin Bratton, Director of Learning at Nanjing International School, and we're going to talk today about the future of learning. Hi, Kyle. Happy to be with you today. My perspective on the future of learning is that it can be a bit of a trap because um, I've actually seen some things even just this week from other organizations that talked about um, this notion of sort of teach today, lead tomorrow. The idea that school is preparing students for the future, which is a paradigm, I think, that we all understand and, you know, to, to some extent it's true. That's what we're trying to achieve. But the pace of change is so fast and the challenges that our students and and our society and our civilization are facing are so present now in the moment mm-hmm. that the idea of the future of education i mean to borrow a, a term from western academy in beijing the future of education really is now it's happening every single day and i think you know, for us and for many schools, the, that's why we have a strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think schools have shifted from the idea of these sort of broad vision statements about some distant future and how the, they envision their community or their students being in some distant future to a strategy about how can we make this happen right now. Um, and the best examples of that are when we use things like trial and error, which is one of our strategic pathways, um, to make sure that we have the freedom to innovate and to rethink pedagogy, instruction, our curriculum, our co-curricular program, I mean, you name it, right? Um, down to the individual lesson or learning activities within a lesson. Um, I just think I think the future of education is, is happening now, and what that means is that schools have to be a lot more agile when it comes to considering learning design. And so the outcome of that for students is that we're not in class droning on about what we think they're going to need to know in X number of years, which, you know, we know back to the pace of change, you know, we understand that those skills they need and the jobs they're going to have, I mean, this this adage has been going around for like a decade. But mm-hmm. the adage that, you know, we're preparing students for jobs we don't even know will exist or there's no way that we can predict what that future is. And I suppose that's true, um, but I think being able to, to be a little more nimble in how we approach learning means that our students are getting a skill-based, concept-based education that is much more broadly applicable to a range of challenges, jobs, etc. And I, so I, I, think, I think the future of education is, is what we're doing now, which is you know, a real focus on the here and now and not such, such a focus on a predictable future. Well, let's talk a little bit about those skills and those mm-hmm. concepts. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think, you know, it's no, it's no secret that for us and, and for many schools, um, creative thinking, I mean, it's in our mission. It's part of what we're trying to achieve. And so, you know, I think when that first came to be, 
a lot of organizations, including our own, were trying to get away from the idea that creativity only happens in art class, you know, or only happens in design. Um, that creativity needs to flow through the curriculum. There needs to be space. And so what happens there is that content over the course of time has been refined. Uh, content, you know, I, I've had conversations with educators that would argue that content is, is not important at all. Um, one reason is that you can easily Google almost everything. Um, another reason is that there's just simply so much knowledge that how do you get down to decide what it is that's important? Um, you know, one hundredth of one percent of all the knowledge in the world in science is basically what you're able to achieve in, let's say, a grade eight science class in a year. So what does it matter what that one, you know, one hundredth of one percent is? And I would push back and say, I think I think that is even more important now because we have to create room in the curriculum for creativity, for space, for students to make choices and explore areas of their own interests within those subject areas. And to do that, we need to let go a little bit of some of that, you know, somewhat dated content knowledge that's more easily accessible now than ever and really focus on the skills to be able to critically analyze that knowledge to be able to understand how it fits into a bigger picture, connects to other subject areas. And that's really what we're trying to achieve, and so is the IB. Um, and I think that that's something that the IB um, should get a lot more kudos for. You know, their push for agency across the, the primary years program, um, a greater emphasis on concept-based learning in the MYP over time, um, and even the diploma focusing on things like our approaches to learning, our ATL skills. You know, th those now run throughout the entire, the entire IB in a really living way. Um, and so does a learner profile, more so than ever. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're on the right track in that regard, but it's really, you know, any school would agree with, with I think, what I'm saying. I think a, a difference is having the support and ability to do that, to really um, use our mission as a catalyst, because our mission is all about personal excellence, creative thinking, inclusive education. Um, so we've got a mandate basically to make that happen and where does where does our strategy fit and we talked about that a little bit earlier our strategy is huge and and I think you know our strategy has evolved so when we started out I think we saw a strategy as um, a series of projects and now we see strategy as a series of pathways for students um, so you know a good example something that we're working on a lot now is blended learning you know the idea of distance learning with COVID and how that's played out and, you know, trying to understand how do students learn and how, how might they learn in two or three years when, let's say, our 10th graders are in university. And that's where something like our, our connection with Global Online Academy comes in. You know, we're able to partner up with, with like-minded organizations like GOA and offer a really wide range of professional development to our, to our staff. But also now we're really excited because we're in the second semester um, the second iteration, the second cohort of our of our GOA journey. So students are making choices about, you know, I'm going to choose to take architecture or computational design or international relations or um, positive psychology or whatever it is. And the people that are that they're interacting with are students from all over the world. The, the same students that they're going to be more or less competing with for jobs um, and university placements in a few years. And so the, the method of learning and the nature of learning, being able to collaborate online in a, in a really high level way, 
is proving extremely successful for students that are making that choice. And so for us, it's, you know, okay, this is working. How can we amplify that? How can we, you know, get feedback from students and, and then learn from that to make sure that this experience is positive for future students? And that kind of iterative approach to, to teaching and learning and having the ability as, a, as an independent school to make those decisions is really exciting. Student voice and student choice and bursting the bubble. Mm-hmm. And where's the bursting the bubble come in all this? Absolutely. I think uh, just like strategy has evolved um, in, in its entirety, um, burst the bubble has come a long way. And I'm really excited about where we are with burst the bubble because it started out as um, a need to connect more with our host country. Um, and that's always, for every international school in the world, that's a priority or should be. Um, and for us, we've, we've made some really good strides there um, with our Discover China program, with our curricular focus. Uh, a lot more experiential learning is happening across the primary school. Um, our Mandarin program has been fantastic, and our teachers in that program have really done a good job to help us in that regard. Um, also, our approach to hiring and contracts, and you know, I think we've we've tried to approach it from both a teaching and learning level and a systems level. But it's also evolved. It's it's evolved into into being much more about skills, much more about students having the skills to operate outside of their own personal comfort zone. So whether that is learning related or the subjects they choose or the opportunities they decide to take on in terms of leadership in the school, it has to do with their language development and their ability to sort of get outside themselves a little bit because we know that in the workplace uh, that is absolutely essential and to solve the problems that we need to solve, we're all going to have to work together. And if, and if students are unable to, to take perspectives outside of their own, if, they're, if they don't really understand who they are and their own identity, um, it's not going to work. So being really purposeful about how we, how we do that through our social-emotional support, through our counseling team, um, I, think, I think that's all really exciting. And that's kind of the, sort of the, the culmination of that is our JEDI work. So over the last year and a half, we've worked with um, two outstanding external consultants in the States um, to work on our justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. That's, that's where the JEDI uh, acronym comes from. Um, and as that work has gone on, you know, that, a lot of that work has been at the leadership level and at the teacher level, but it's driven by student voice. So that, you know, having um, listened carefully across grade levels to students at the end of last year about their experiences with justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in our community has been really eye-opening for us and giving a, given us a lot of opportunity. And, and as we continue to do that work, we get to know ourselves better, our community better, our students better. And from that point, that's really where we can continue to focus on that burst of bubble, our own bubble, the bubbles within our community and our community itself. I mean, on the one hand, could you say that it's about agency? And on, on the other, it's about flexibility and adaptability? Yes, absolutely, and and those two things go hand in hand, right? Um, you know, I think we've come a long way as well in our journey around agency and what that really means. Um, and and the the thing is, I mean, you can't really give agency. We all have it. We're all born with it. And um, you know, creating an environment where agency can thrive is really is really what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and opportunities for students to sort of figure it out because you know, like any adult has gone through a a learning process over time to make choices, lots and lots of choices. 
And so creating, for instance, creating learning environments like in our early years where students are forced to make a lot of choices about where they are, what they're doing, how they're doing it. The same is true through our primary school and units of inquiry, you know, open-ended, so you have the opportunity to take agency in your learning. So I think the flexibility part comes in on the curricular side, being very, very um, uh, careful about instructional design and curriculum design. And that's where, you know, like our... Our amazing PYP coordinator, Gareth Jacobson, has done such good work with, with our teachers on our program of inquiry to create sort of a learning boundary where, of course, we know that our student learning outcomes, our standards, our curriculum, you know, that's, that's a non-negotiable. But how do, we, how do we structure learning in a way where students can achieve those outcomes and will achieve those outcomes? but in ways that they have, they have control over, meaningful control. I always thought it was funny when I was in high school and um, as a senior in high school, I had to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. Knowing, all pass. Right, knowing full well that in a few short months, I was going to be living alone, like completely independently in university. So how, you know, that just never equated to me. And so I, I think... Just trying to keep in mind the the long game here, that our students, the more choices they make as learners and as people, whether you know, they can learn from those those choices, whether that's the right choice, the wrong choice, a good choice, a bad choice, um, teaching them the skills to evaluate that exact thing is kind of at the core of the whole idea of choice. You know, we're we're not doing student voice and choice because um, you know, it sounds good. Um, in fact, Operating a school with a strategy around student voice and choice is extremely challenging for teachers. It can be confusing for parents. It can be really rigorous for students because it, there's not a, a spoon-feeding, a regurgitation element. There's not, you know, we're focused on a higher-level thinking. And that's a lot harder than the alternative. We're doing it because we believe it's the best way for students to develop as thinkers and as people so that when they're finished at NIS and, and they kind of are wherever they are, that they've built those skills in authentic ways.